Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This is Addison Peacock, and you're listening to The Wicked Library. Warning. The Wicked Library is a horror fiction podcast created for a mature audience. Our stories contain graphic descriptions of pain, murder, violence, blood, betrayal, and inhumanity. Monsters win, people die, and hope is often shattered. There is also beauty, heart, catharsis, and raw emotion. Fear may be deeply personal, but we all share it. If at any time a story takes you to a place too dark, turn on the lights, press pause, or press stop. And always remember that unlike in the real world, these nightmares and your participation in them are under your control. Hello, and welcome to Season 11 of The Wicked Library. Today's episode is number 1117, and today we'll be presenting a story written for us by Bram Stoker award-winning author and TWL alum author, the superbly talented Sarah Tantlinger, entitled Acidic Atonement on Sulfur Planet. Before we start the story, a sincere thank you to those of you supporting the show on Patreon. You truly make the show possible, and it's because of your support that I can continue to pay the very talented authors, voice actors, composer, and artist. Simply, it's your support that allows us to make sure those who contribute to the show don't work for free. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. For as little as $3 a month, you can help make the show you love possible and get fun rewards. A lot of hard work and money goes into making the Wicked Library And I honestly do rely on your support to help me pay the authors, voice actors, composer, and artists. In addition to knowing that you're a part of making the show possible, you can get fun rewards like ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, access to bonus stories, and at higher levels of support even more. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Lastly, a huge thank you to those of you who have taken the time to leave a five-star rating and share a review for our show on Apple Podcasts. Those really do mean a lot to all of us who create the show, and they do help others find the show by creating more visibility for the show in Apple Podcasts and other platforms. If you haven't already, we'd really appreciate you taking a few minutes to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today's dark tale is told by Addison Peacock, accompanied by a custom score written by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Now, let's explore a desolate planet in... Acidic Atonement on Sulfur Planet by Sarah Tantlinger.
Acidic Atonement on Sulfur Planet by Sarah Tantlinger Compact dirt beneath my feet, orange-brown like rusted chains. All the colors here reflect a dying auburn, and it almost reminds me of fall and how beautiful I used to find that back on Earth. But no beauty resides here. No cascading leaves, no pumpkin patches, no hot cider waiting on the other end of a haunted maze. Rocks, dirt, volcanoes, sulfur, smoke, and acid. These are the ingredients that make up my current home. Scientists had officially named this planet, as with all the others, after a series of letters and numbers. Codes none of us ever bothered to remember. Instead, we nicknamed all the new places within reach thanks to the quick evolutions of so much technology. Some places will remain forever unhabitable, like Wasp, nasty exoplanet west of us that ate light. Others, scientists and astronauts could at least visit, like the Azure planet and Super Saturn, which awaited in the north. Megaplanet, the frozen wasteland, Kepler, Bloodwater, and probably a million others we'll never discover. I remember reading about so many of them in the news. A planet that rained sapphires and rubies. One that rained glass during violent storms. Engineers had developed intelligent pods that could gather material from those planets without having to be piloted by a human. Which was good, since sometimes the pods came back shredded and on their last ounce of artificial life. Mars had been renamed Red Earth to make it more palatable to the colonizers, the survivors who traveled from Old Earth to the New Planet, where humans could figure out a way to destroy that place too. Maybe I'm too cynical, and everything is going well there. I'll never know. My work here, on what we've nicknamed Sulfur Planet, will keep me planted on this sphere of rust most likely until my death. At one time, the governments promised technology would be able to take our places, but then we were deemed too unimportant. They claimed humans were needed to mine the sulfur due to such a delicate operation, but in reality, they just wanted someone to do the hard work at the cheapest price. Before the collapse of Earth, most governments joined in a temporary solidarity to ensure the survival of life. It's amazing how much shit doesn't matter when the species is under threat of being wiped out. They asked for volunteers to do so much, jobs that sounded far over my head, but I was willing to put in the work, any kind of work. My will to live wasn't the strongest, but I also feared death, otherwise I would have stayed on Earth and watched how it all ended, let my body disintegrate into ash with everything else. All those plants and animals, skyscrapers and highways. Nothing mattered in the end. I had already signed up for transport to Sulphur Planet before I saw the stipend attached. More money than I'd ever seen in my life. Money that all went to my sister and her family. All of it. Thousands of dollars at my fingertips. Gone. I dropped it off on her doorstep, told her to take everyone and go, and watched them depart to Red Earth. 
the only safe place for humans now. The only thing that would ever come close to the planet we once called home before it spun into a sun-fried fate. Lori had refused at first. Told me she couldn't take that much money unless I departed with them. Joined the family pod before it launched into space with the rest of the fleet. The desperate plea in her eyes will haunt me until my day's end. She wanted to go. And maybe that day a part of her wanted me to go with them. But I knew she'd never trust me. Not after what I did. How could I tag along with her family after I almost destroyed it? If forgiveness was an option, I would never deserve it. I sent them away, waited my turn to board the labor pods with my fellow workers, and I arrived on the planet of volcanoes and sulfur. Today, I awake with the others in the cool hours of morning. Light breaks through the orange sky. It's always orange here, like a calm, fiery sea that envelops sulfur planet eternally. Mornings bring soft cantaloupe shades, and the evenings turn to a dark marmalade, broken up with apricot-like hues throughout the afternoons. I leave the sleeping quarters with my backpack strapped on tight, carrying the few snacks and liquids we have available to us. On the first of each month, a supply pod arrives to replenish our stores before flying away to another destination. At least, that's what they tell us, that there are other humans on different planets doing important work. How our technology could be so evolved, yet so greatly lacking at the same time, I'll never understand it. All of us separated from our families because we've been sold the idea that we're helping to ensure the survival of humanity, but what good did humanity do in the first place? Maybe we were never meant to outlast Earth's extinction. I march quietly in line, traverse across red soil paths that lead down to the volcano field. Sulfur Planet was a baffling discovery. Despite its acid lakes and poisonous plants that thrived from the noxious nature of this world, the atmosphere was deemed suitable for careful habitation. The inability to grow food or purify water remains an issue, but the supply ship hasn't let us down yet. And the fact that we have breathable air here? My mind still can't quite process it all. Each breath feels downright crisp and clear compared to those last few years on Earth. Maybe this planet was like Earth at one point, but we landed millions of years too early. Or too late. Before arriving, I expected to have to wear the suits and bubble-like helmets that those journeying to Red Earth needed. But the atmosphere here, it's welcomed us from the beginning. It's a shame the whole planet is full of volcanoes and toxic water. Otherwise, I wouldn't mind the idea of living here for the rest of my life. Taking in the orange sky and walking across the foreign soil each day. But nothing will grow here, will ever thrive, except the sulfur we mine. Sometimes the nights unsettle me with that velvet cover of darkness. I toss and turn in my cot, fixate on fears of the volcanoes erupting, of the supply ship forgetting to stop, of other terrors I refuse to let my mind revisit as I follow my co-workers down the steep ledges and onto the rocky fields of dirt where the volcanoes wait. 
As I look at the others, I wonder if settling down here isn't exactly what we're doing anyway. How many of us will ever get the chance to leave? I take care not to trip over the jutting rocks before jogging onto the flatter surfaces, lest I fall to my death. That would be tragic, but more importantly, it would slow the others down. As one of the only women working on Sulphur Planet, it has become my personal mission to never give them reason to doubt me. And so I follow in the line where we march like ants, and I carry my wide baskets full of sulfur, collecting my fair share. Even still, I know I'm lucky we have help from artificial intelligence in collecting the full baskets, because unlike the others who have mined before on Earth, I'm not sure I could carry hundreds of pounds of the material on my shoulders. Complaints won't do any good, though. No one cares enough to listen. There's no union. There's nothing but us and the volcanoes. And consequences. It's kind of amazing how even after the heat death of Earth, there are still men who are here to observe us, to judge us for something they view as lesser and beneath them. Men who get paid more or granted special privileges on Red Earth. If I don't meet my quota, punishment will await. We don't speak of the punishment with each other, but we know there are different levels. Maybe they take some of your pay away. Maybe they beat you. Or maybe you disappear like the man last month, whose bones were found in one of the acid pools, melted down like a gluey substance, stuck to the banks of dirt surrounding those green waters. Guards, we call them. Medieval guards who take delight in torturing those less fortunate. They change every few months, sending new men to come watch us. Some crueler than others. Sometimes our co-workers do not return from their punishments, and until that evening I stumbled across the bones by the acid pool, I never dared let myself think these guards would be so cruel as to throw any of us into the volcanoes or toxic vats. But what other options exist here in this lawless place? Defenseless in terms of weapons, I sleep with sharp rocks beneath my bed. All of the women here do. We are few, but we aren't stupid. And if I had to give those horrible guards praise for anything, it would be that they aren't tolerant of any workers sneaking into the habitat where the women sleep, where sometimes men tried to slip beneath thin sheets uninvited. The guards were ruthless, yes, but they favored productivity, and if someone was found to be interrupting the precious sleep of another worker at night, well, we never saw those men again either. And it hurt that our fellow workers could try to use us, so. But I like to tell myself the bones I found that day were of someone who deserved to have their skin melted off by acid. Someone who had tried to hurt the woman who slept near me at night. She never spoke, never told anyone her name, but she screamed that night when a man had hovered above her. The guards dragged him away, and then it was his turn to scream. He never came back. All of this desperation, these terrible prices to pay just for the opportunity to live. But what kind of life is this to so many of the people here? Surely they couldn't have all volunteered to come to redress their sins like I have. 
I'm not fooling myself during any of this process. None of these days could fool me. If any of the others dared look me in the eye one day and ask, Cora, did you come here to punish yourself? I would answer yes, in unflinching honesty. Yes, of course. How could I ever have come here if I wasn't on some road to atonement? For as long as I can recall, people have told me to apologize for any wrongdoing because it's the honest, right thing to do. That's all bullshit. Apologies and confessions, they only help to relieve our guilt and pass the burden on to another. When I told my sister what I did, it felt good at first to have someone to share my darkness with, to finally make her see how messed up I was. But it all made her hate me. And then she hated herself because, forever my big sister, she cleaned up the mess I left behind. I ruined her life when I could have lied, protected all of us, and made sure no one knew. But instead, I let my misdeeds spill from my mouth like the toxic water surrounding me now from the acid pools. Our once close relationship ruined. The only human I ever loved... And now she's safe in a colony on Red Earth, and I'll never see her again. So sure, gut yourself and spill open your secrets, but don't expect anyone to walk away from the situation feeling any better. Someone yells at me to hurry up, and I shake my head clear of the torment. I zigzag around the field of smallish volcanoes and settle between piles of red rock that rise like a wall, separating me from the others. Dirt fields encompass the whole planet, pockmarked with the acid puddles and one larger acid lake down past the volcanoes. Gnarled crimson plants twist up from the dirt that surrounds toxic water. Occasionally, the volcanoes spew ash and rock, small threats to remind us they could wipe us out at any moment. Luckily, we haven't encountered any life-threatening eruptions, but I wonder how long that could continue. Surely it's only a matter of time before something violent erupts from the wide necks of these angry mountains. Most resemble smaller versions of Earth's cinder cone volcanoes. Perhaps it's their size that keeps us from feeling like they'll eradicate us. There are so many of them. Fields of deep craters and lava domes, of burbling gases beneath the rocky land, and a constant stream of gurgling bubbles from the fetid ponds. Everything on Sulfur Planet is a threat. But maybe, like me, the others don't care. The planet is our very own death wish. We just have to keep working until Oblivion takes us home. Though maybe this is already Oblivion. Every day remains the same. I get up, walk down to the volcano field, chip away at the Sulfur Composites, and then on the way back up the hill after our work for the day is done, I stop at the biggest acid lake, stare into it, hypnotized. Something waits down there, in those depths none of us could ever reach. I know it does, but the few times I've tried to tell the crew, they look at me like I've grown another head. And really, growing another head seems plausible on this planet. Who knows what effects these gases and this new air will have on our human bodies in the long run. 
My thoughts tangle as I turn away and retreat back into the habitat. Too tired to eat with the others or fish out any stowed snacks from my backpack. My nightmares have continued to worsen, but this kind of exhaustion from mining isn't fightable. I always slip into sleep, and dark reminders of my past, of my present, they slip into those twisted dreams with me. Sunrise on our sulfuric world is perhaps the best time of day, and easily the most beautiful thing about this arid, odd place. Tones of tangerine sorbet awaken the planet, and I rise with my fellow workers to greet the day. Dreams from last night linger, vivid in my mind. I wonder if something in the air here causes that. Or maybe I'm looking for excuses for why my brain so clearly recalls all that blood and screaming. The images are usually the same. Two babies crying, the tortured look on my sister's face from those last days on Earth, both of our hands smeared crimson, and then a cutscene takes me away to Sulphur Planet's acid lake. It all coagulates in my sleeping mind like an enigmatic puzzle. Is my subconscious telling me to end it all? To walk into those deadly waters and let my entire mass dissolve? Maybe that's the sum of my worth. A body destined for disappearance in the lethal lake. One of the other women calls my name. I let the dream images fizzle out and then follow her into a neighboring tent shaped like a big igloo for a quick, bland breakfast. The sky morphs into brighter orange, and I set off to work, noting today is Friday at last. We only receive weekends off, but there isn't much else to do or explore on a planet like this, so we usually end up working anyway to pass the time. Sometimes I sleep, though, spend the whole Saturday curled up, daydreaming about what freedom might someday look like. My body aches and begs for rest but my poor limbs with their many bruises, scrapes, and burns will have to wait for a few more hours until I can collapse once again onto the lumpy bed and sleep away the exhaustion. Blue flames spark all across the fields from the restless gases beneath our steps. Between those sparks remains silence. There's no time for small talk. Plus, none of us have the energy for casual conversation. We've been here for several months, but as hard as I think, I can't remember the exact length of time. When did our pod full of workers who signed up to mine on this desolate planet even land? Static buzzes in my brain as I try to remember. It might be possible to trade jobs with workers on neighboring planets, but we so rarely have contact with anyone besides the supply ship. They never stay to chat. Just take the sulfur leave the rations, and depart. Maybe that's all they cared about, because that's what they were paid to do. Like how their bosses likely don't care about the lonely people on Sulphur Planet. We needed to gather the precious element that they manufactured into batteries, fertilizers, even makeup. Such important things to keep their colonies on Red Earth sustained. So what did it matter how any of the workers feel? So long as we keep loading up the baskets keep the supply going. The others? None of them would last two seconds here doing what we do. 
One inhale of the prevalent rotten egg smell emitting from the sulfur, a stench I'm so used to I don't even notice it anymore, and they would all scatter like fearful flies. The first few days after we all arrived, I spent so long chatting with the others. We still felt human then, but now we all merely exist like clones more than as individuals. But we had talked, noted the strange colors and smells of the planet, exchanged stories of our lives and pasts. If we had anyone waiting for us on Red Earth, if we were ever able to recolonize there with the others. Many of us had no one, but so many others did. And it broke my heart every time I thought too long of how they'd likely never see their families and friends again. I told the others as much as I could. Some things were too twisted to blab out to strangers. It tempted me often, though, to just say, Hello, how are you? What was your past like? Oh, me? Well, I almost died a few times because I overdosed on the drugs they gave us to evolve our bodies to adjust to space travel. I should have never been given such a high dosage in the first place because of some weirdness in my body. When I couldn't get clean and had no more money, I desperately fell into the wrong crowd, who turned out to be stealing babies to take to Red Earth with them for who fucking knows why. And I stole my sister's three-month-old son to sell to these guys so I could buy enough drugs to finally end myself completely. I can't imagine that conversation going well with anyone, let alone a group of hardened miners, of poor folks like me with no other options. Even they wouldn't sink as low as I had. The story gets worse, of course, because Lori found me with drugs and her baby, but I blocked out so much of that painful confrontation. I'm not sure if I remember it correctly at all anymore. I can barely recall what my sister's face looks like, other than the pain in her eyes that night. I wish I had better memories to carry me through each day. Small comfort stems from the fact that I'm not alone in my recovery. Hell, I'm not even the only person on Sulfur Planet to have gone through the addiction to Spacefex. The drug was said to be safe for most, something that would strengthen our lungs and immune systems, prepare us for the kind of travel most of us never dared dream of. Why some ended up deeply addicted, unable to shake the way those black capsules with specks like glowing stars made us feel. No one ever figured it out. No one cared enough to, when the majority of people felt fine. The governments, scientists, and pharmaceutical companies claimed it to be a mystery. Liars. They knew. For whatever reason, when I swallowed those pills, it made the burning earth and all that terror disappear. It transported me to a higher place in my mind where nothing could touch me where no one could reach me. I became one with the stars, a shimmering light among a dark sky surrounded by others like me. Beautiful, invincible, a forever constant of something that sparkled truer than the North Star. When the high faded away, I fell back into the trash reality of a dying planet. Desperate to escape my own head, I sold everything. I would have sold my own soul if it meant getting my hands on those drugs sooner. After I did pay for more space specs, I had nothing left. Lori had her second baby, and I made the mistake of mentioning my status as an aunt to the wrong ears. 
to someone who promised me unlimited amounts of what I sought if I delivered something to him. Stealing my sister's baby wasn't exactly something I could casually tell my co-workers on a foreign planet. And like I said, most of us barely talk to each other now anyway. Too tired. None of us close enough to bleed open those still raw wounds. With the silence of voices around me, most of my company now comes in the form of volcano songs. The way ash sputters, the melody of flowing lava deep inside those craters, toxic sonata of bubbling venom beneath the acid lake. These are the noises that ground my reality, keep me sane. Before we all drowned beneath exhaustion and quietness, one of my favorite co-workers, a man from Java who spent years of his life working in the sulfur mines of Indonesia, had the most fascinating stories. I asked him one day what he missed about that place compared to our new home. He told me of the native songbirds, how he missed their chirping. No birds here. No roaming tigers or silvery gibbons. No warty pigs or other creatures that teemed with life. But he remembered. He knew what life had been on Earth before we all destroyed it. Let it burn. No signs of life here on this desolate orange rock at all. Sometimes, though, I swore something moved, lurking in the shadows out of the corner of my eye. A feeling haunts me often, summoning me to stare into the acid lake every day. The strange ripples of light and heat that bubble from its algae green surface. Smaller pools of toxic water linger at the bases of some volcanoes with deeper craters embedded into the planet's surface. But they feel to me like minor distractions. No, something lingers beneath that lake. Something we will never discover or find out. Something that learned to adapt and survive on this peculiar planet of sulfur. The heat-resistant suit I wear as I begin my day's work protects me from the smoldering waves the volcanoes emit, but the clothing would do no good if I decided to take a swim in the lake. No one's tested that theory completely, but after we'd first arrived, a man named Davis towed around at the puddles with his steel-toed boot, and the water ate right through it. Davis at least kept his toes, though. We all know the government could have granted us more gear or protection. More anything, but then again, it's unlikely they have anything in their stores that would truly shield us if one of the bigger volcanoes erupts one day. Still, the threat of lava doesn't take up as much space in my thoughts as what I fear lingers beneath the acid. My dreams keep taking me there more frequently. A warning of some kind, one that I could not explain or put into words to the others. The uneasiness churning through my stomach every time I glance at those sticky waters. It's only a matter of time before what lurks beneath reveals itself with shuddering clarity. With nothing else to do, I work through the apprehension of dread. It's easy to tell who worked the sulfur mines before coming to this planet. The men with broken down bodies and twisted spines. Laborers who bore blisters on their shoulders from carrying hundreds of pounds of the devil's gold from the source to the base camps where they once worked and lived. 
I used to watch them in the morning as they'd button protective suits over gnarled bodies, marred skin abounding, a glimpse of what could have been the future for my body, of what might yet tear it apart. The work they'd done for years and that their fathers and grandfathers did for years before them, the necessity of it carrying on throughout time and now space. Yet of all the incredible technology we possessed, sulfur mining still depended on a person's strength and resilience. Why had modernity never found a home there or a way to relieve the burdens of these people as the rest of the world continued to pretend they did not exist? Invisible workers who retrieved elements from the core of dangerous places. All the exploitation of poverty, of people the wealthy would never care about. When I arrived here, my intent to punish myself outweighed all other feelings. But as I watched broken people go to work beside me, beside others destitute like me, displaced humans of all backgrounds and cultures, different identities blurring out into nothing because all that matters here is if you can do the work. Will my body bend and reshape like the old miners' bodies have? I study my hands, my arms, feel the strength in each limb despite the pain and aches from my exhaustion. Compared to how I felt while dealing with the withdrawal from space facts, I would take the fatigue any day. I may be stuck on Sulfur Planet for, well, forever, but having my awareness and lucidity back not depending on something that altered the wires of my brain in such deeply disturbing ways, even if it prepared my body for this journey. It means everything to have that function restored. Part of me, though, knows it only matters so much. I'll most likely work here until I die, or until something goes wrong and the planet kills me, kills us all. If our bodies quit one day, when we're too tired to carry on, Will the guards dispose of us then? Throw us into a volcano or the acid lake? Inside the volcano where I work, sulfur crystals glitter like sparkling bile around the cracks where gases release. Banks of bright yellow line up around the jutting insides of volcanic rock and also around holes in the ground throughout the entire volcano field. The purity of such yellow blinds me at first, like looking into the sun but other times I'm reminded of decay. Our gear keeps us cool so the comfort of working in daylight doesn't leave us blistering through our skin from the volcanic temperatures. A former miner from Earth named Ahmad once told me that they could only ever work at night to collect sulfur. Darkness was needed then to stifle the terrible heat, but even then conditions drove workers to both illness and madness. All these sulfurous gases... Our face shields may protect us from breathing them in, but back on Earth, the workers were never offered anything. I can only imagine how their lungs burned, how their insides shriveled like disintegrating coal from all the toxins they had breathed in. Metal pole in hand, I slammed the archaic weapon down to break the sulfur into manageable slabs. Golden chunks dropped down, thick and resilient. It's strange how advanced Earth became, yet here I am with a simple pole, chipping away at the stalactites that loom down. We should have some fancy gadget that makes this all so much easier, but it seems all the best technology went to those who could afford it in the first place. The rest of us are left behind, 
mining on a barely known planet just to send money to our loved ones or keep ourselves afloat. Though maybe some of the workers here are like me. We'll work, sure, but if we die in the process, it won't feel like the worst thing. I already did the worst things, and death seems like the next logical step. Something yips behind me, but I don't have to turn and look to know what it is. The damn thing is going to have to wait another minute until my baskets are full. The most helpful equipment the government's brought us in their temporary alliance are robotic creatures that look a bit like wide dogs with giant metal baskets on their backs. The robo-pups, such a generous gift, I think, and roll my eyes. Everything else here is archaic, and the robots only help save us from having to haul the hundreds of pounds of sulfur on our tired backs. A preventative measure to hopefully promise that our spines won't end up as dented and twisted as the men from Earth who had to do all of this without an ounce of government technology. Because when did the powerful ever give a damn before the Earth burnt up? I transfer the lumps into baskets, and once each basket is full to the brim... I move it outside the volcano for the robo-pup to grab and store, leaving me with free baskets to refill over and over until the light gets low and it's time to go back inside the habitat. Someone calls my name, but it echoes around the dense rock in a chorus of Cora, Cora, Cora. No one stands near me at all. There are so many volcanoes and banks of sulfur here that we usually have the option of working alone in a spot if we don't feel like being around others for the day. I often choose the solitary option. The echoing of my name continues, bounces from the rocks in a shuddering invitation for me to turn around and look at something. I don't turn back. I can't. Something is out there waiting for me to discover it at last and look into its eyes. And I already know exactly where I'll go when the shift ends and the sky turns into those seductive burnt orange tones. The lake. It's always the lake asking me to stay for a while. I concentrate on work, ban my thoughts from jittering around all loose in my head. Focus. Eyes on the sulfur, those odorous, yolky heaps of elements that need mind because this is my destiny. I don't stop. I can't. Even one second away from swinging the pole and beating down those crystals is a second too long. A second that invites my brain to retrace the steps of my nightmares. Crying babies. Shadows. My sister's broken face. Blood. The acid lake. Images repeat on a cycle over and over again. And over and over, I swing the pole, break the sulfur, load up the baskets. Whistle a distorted tune beneath my face shield. The work and the light do not last forever. After hours that seem like only seconds to me, another worker is tapping my shoulder, telling me it's time to quit for the day. My muscles thank me for stopping, but my brain knows better. It understands that a temptation greater than my own will against it is about to unfold. I walk with the others, my goggles sticking to my skin like sweaty suction cups. When we're further away from the volcanic heat, I remove my shield and gently pull the goggles and mask from my clammy face. Sulfurous gases ignite through the air, sparking out blue warnings. Waves of unease sink beneath my ribs like the ocean before a storm. 
dread consumes my heart, drowns it beneath the unchangeable knowledge that I shouldn't be here. None of us should. I don't understand where the thought comes from, but it's there. A kind of deep comprehension that is unshakable in its finality. The acid lake remains wedged between the volcano field's edge and an empty area of sharp rocks. As I move closer to the murky jade surface, something ripples from beneath. What's moving in there, down in those waters with unknown depths? I stop and stare at the ripples. More of them. Concentrate. I'm vaguely aware of a shadow next to me. Another woman from the mine. A worker I was almost close to before the exhaustion stopped us all from continuing to get close. If I was going to tell my secrets to anyone, then, it would have been her. Now, as I stare into the lake's dancing surface, I can't even remember the woman's name. She grabs my arm, pulls me away from the bank of loose rock where I could have so easily slipped could have fallen into the embrace of those toxic waters. Her goggles are still on, but beneath them I can see the furrowed brow, dark hair streaked with silver, sweat beating down from her forehead. The questioning gaze on her face asks me what am I doing, and I don't have to wait for her to speak to confirm that because I know that look so well. It's a look I've received my entire life. I shake my arm out of my co-worker's grasp and step away. Sizzling blue threats radiate from the burning gases and then onto the lake where the fire dances atop the surface. Others start calling our names, gather round and watch in the distance because it's time to go back into the habitat and enjoy our two days off, so what the hell are we doing down there? Not now, a voice whispers in my head. Another time and everything will be discovered. I trust the voice cast one more glance at the acid lake, and then follow the others up the rocky ledge away from the volcano field and away from the secrets lurking beneath thick waters. Blood. Shadows. Crying. Same dreams. Same images. I should know better than to hold any hope that my brain would gift me with a restful night free of night terrors, but... Hope is a tricky bastard. I sit up in my cot, recall the moment where the cutscene to the acid lake happens. But this time, it lasted longer. Something talked to me from those depths. And I had talked back. Whispers, voices, it had all seemed so familiar. I desperately try to cling on to those fading moments of sleep and recollection, eager to remember what else transpired. All I can envision is the rocky bank of the lake and garbled words that don't make sense any longer. I want to know. I need to understand. It's Saturday, and I should stay here in the comfort of the habitat and rest all day with the others. But I see a few bored souls getting into their gear to go head into the volcano field and work to pass the time. I decide to join them since it will look less suspicious if I work in the volcanoes near the acid lake rather than journey over to it for fun. I don't want the questions and stares until it's absolutely necessary. 
until I solve the riddle my dark dreams keep asking of me. I take my time, eat some of our terrible food, and then get ready. I lag behind the others, close enough to look like part of the crowd deciding to work, but still keeping a distance that I could blame on being tired, unsure of how much sulfur I really want to mine today. I don't even make it into the volcano. Electric bursts of flame are nothing new to see here as the sulfur gases burn, igniting the rocky planet into a sapphire blaze for a few seconds. But today, the fire is everywhere. A conflagration of blue shoots up from all the cracks and craters below. I stand with the others and watch in awe, no one daring to step foot onto the stony field. It ends like it began, sudden and without warning. No more flames. Mutters from the crowd around me, confused workers shifting their weight and holding loosely onto their metal poles and baskets. Next comes silence. An eerie quiet replaces the almost comforting white static of the sizzling flames. It's the kind of silence that I've heard once before, back on Earth. During those last few weeks while everyone was getting ready to board their pods and leave, there was a day I went for one final walk took in the emptiness of what used to be. The remaining animals had been rounded up for an optimistic transport to Red Earth, and I wonder now how many survived the journey, how many will survive the new planet. But the silence of that day, it chilled me unlike anything else. Until now. Solve the puzzle, I tell myself. This is just another piece of it. Bubbles from the lake. Blood. Shadows. Crying. I know these images, and I know this torture, because it is my nightly torture. I have to go to the lake. I have to end this. Sulfur planet trembles. Back on Earth, I experienced a few quakes. We all did, near those final weeks before we had to leave. The rumbling from beneath the rocks reminds me of that now. But I can tell this is worse. So much worse. When it happens, I barely notice or register it as real because the scene of molten lava flowing up from the cracks in the rock field is too strange and surreal of a horror. People around me run, dart away from the fields and back up the ledge. But the lava isn't erupting from the mouths of volcanoes. It's all leaking upward, as if the sky is sucking it up in an upturned kind of rain. Reverse gravity? I don't know, but I keep moving, carefully inching my way down the ledge while everyone else runs back up. They point, whisper, ask each other questions of how this is possible. They don't know what I do, do they? That anything is possible if we just... What? Another piece of the puzzle, and I almost have the answer. Come here. The acid lake whispers in my head, beckoning me nearer. The others don't pay attention as I walk closer. I approach the lake's edge just as the cascading magma rescinds its gentle, upside-down waterfall flow and then shoots violently into the sky, exploding like fireworks from the old world. Molten sparks rain down around us, but as the people I've worked side-by-side with these past few months scream and scatter... I stand on the edge of the acid lake and wait 
for something that I cannot name. Something that has beckoned me since we arrived. Between beauty and terror, it calls to me. I stare into the lake, thick with toxic waters and strange goo. No reflection shimmers back. In my head, I see the images clearer than ever. Lori's tortured eyes when I took her back to where I'd traded her baby. The drugs, the money, us trying to buy the baby back. Two men fighting us, but together, sisters sliced into those bellies and gutted the men. Our dad was a hunter, taught us how to gut and skin anything. Blood on our hands. No one would care, because those last days of Earth held no laws. No jail. No punishment. I remember two babies stashed away behind dead men, and then a third man came, took away one baby, and ran. Lori took the other baby, and it was not hers. Two sisters whispered that the baby looked similar to her son, that he would be her son now, that someone had to take care of him anyway. Whispers that no one else needed to know. Ever. I fall to my knees near the acid lake, remembering, desperate to wash the blood off my hands, and I start to reach into the lake. But beneath the cauldron-like hollow of the caldera, darkness brews and simmers, doomed secrets aching to make their truth known to everyone here, not just me. We all came with secrets, and the lake knows, as I know in my bones and within every molecule that more truth will be revealed if I keep going. If I dare to accept the gift that's being offered. I keep watching as others scream, as fountains of lava spray around from the orange sky and burn through those so-called protective suits of my fellow workers, of people I almost called friends and still could someday if I make them understand. Let them know what I know. The lava explosions from the sky continue, eat through suit and skin of a woman far up on the ledge, burning holes clean through her torso. Steaming flesh falls in the middle of the field. A man a few yards away from me yowls in agony as the lava corrodes through his thigh, exposing muscle and then bone. Stench of burning hair and meat in the air, and I recognize this as the future of all planets that humans touch. I watch briefly in mild interest, but more bubbles burbling up from beneath the lake snap my attention back to those lethal waters. The strange figures from my dreams, mere outlines then, transform into full bodies. Their dark shapes become whole as they emerge from the lake, creatures far beyond the wildest stretches of imagination. I'd envisioned something maybe comprised of scales that had adapted to the harsh reality of acid liquids, but the reality is worse. Skin hangs from charred bones like tattered bloody strips on meat racks. Glowing eyes and open mouths full of pointed red teeth adorn their faces. The slashed up ribbons of skin radiate colors of sickly green. Is this the fate assigned to something that dwells so long in the extreme acidity of the lake and has the nerve to survive? To call it home? I don't know where the robopups come from or why they're out this far near the lake. One wanders too close to a creature. 
The acid monster makes quick work of dissolving the robot's body down into a liquid pool of silver, with sparking wires unspooling from the melted metal. Together, a group of the creatures retrieves the sulfur from the basket the robot carried, and they take the crystals back into the lake with them. They realize they aren't monsters. They're protectors. Phreatic eruptions burst from the field, lava shooting everywhere and threatening anyone without shelter, the creatures daring us all to step a little closer. I can see it in their eyes, hear their voices in my head. All of these enigmas hidden in the blue acid lake, as if any of us ever dared to know or understand what truth waits beneath that fizzing surface. Would we have believed anyone if they told us monsters nested there? protecting the things we harvest? Maybe not. Or maybe they knew we were capable of believing such secrets. That no one would work here again if word got out. And so all those investors would rather gamble our lives away than tell us the truth. We meant nothing to them. As I stared at the creatures, I knew they felt the same. So desperate to protect what was theirs. Darkness falls, too early, but as more creatures emerge and stand silently around the lake, unmoving and observing the scenes play out, surely feeding on the secrets they sense as they did to me, I wonder why I'm the first to figure them out. Perhaps my history is the worst of all who are here, or maybe I just wanted to find something greater, something to elevate us all. The nightscape glows with a crushed diamond sky across black velvet. Whispers dance throughout the dark as the fires cool and lava returns to its correct place beneath the rocky terrain. The creatures do not speak, but one steps forward and tilts its head at me. And somehow, without words, I understand. Every thought and question echoes in my mind perfectly clear. The creature grows curious, asks me what I'm thinking about right now. My sister, I answer, my voice barely above a whisper. The transformation they offer. All of our relatives from Earth, our friends and family and those who once loved us, they either let us come here, made us, or just didn't care. They could never predict what would happen next. But I knew. The creatures have been showing me for weeks, maybe even months, in my dreams between all my guilt of theft and murder and kidnapping. We are to evolve. I made a liar out of my honest sister, helped her convince the others that yes, this was her baby, had always been her baby, that her reckless addict of a sister helped her get the baby back. I didn't think I had anything left to offer Lori to make up for what I did. But now, I do. I will. I can offer evolution. We all can. The creatures tilt their heads, open their sharp mouths where a black vortex spins inside in place of tongues, and they screech into the night. A screech that promises all of my guilt will end. 
that I'm not to blame for something a dying government made me take, got me hooked on, chewed at me until I was nothing but crumbs, waiting for someone to help. But everyone was too busy selling and trading off assets and bargaining for things on the new planet. Too busy getting their private pods ready to travel into space. And I would have been left behind to melt away on Earth if it hadn't been for the work on Sulfur Planet. I was always meant to come here. We all would have died, finally gotten to see with our own damned eyes how Earth ended in a blaze, swallowed by the sun's unapologetic rage. But I still have my rage. We all do. And I know as the creatures step forward, find the others and take them here, they will help us see the power of our once forgotten fire. Help us use the kindling lying dormant in our bodies because we deserve life too. I will show my fellow residents of Sulfur Planet that there is nothing to fear. I go first, hoping they will follow me as the creatures reach out, guiding me into the lake. One final payment, one final transformation. We will emerge like them be more adept to this world and other worlds. The colonizers on Red Earth, we will invite them next. Lori, I will find you. I will give you one last apology to atone for my mistakes. A gift. A transformation. Evolution is not always pretty, Lori. We will be family again. Forever. Thank you for listening to episode number 1117. Today's author was Sarah Tantlinger with her dark tale, Acidic Atonement on Sulfur Planet. Today's story was told by Addison Peacock. Always a treat to have her on the show. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I've been your host today. If you'd like to find more of my work, you can check out ninthstory.com, victoriaslift.com, or follow me on Twitter at dfoytek. Our season 11 lead editor and executive producer was Scarlett R. Algy. Our resident composer and executive producer is Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Artwork for today's episode was created by Jeanette Andromeda, our art director and executive producer. Our producer is Meg Williams. Our showrunner and producer is me. To find out more about all of today's contributors, please visit thewickedlibrary.com and check out their bio pages. If you'd like to help us continue bringing you our collection of dark tales, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can also help us by leaving a five-star rating and short review in Apple Podcasts. These ratings and reviews help other listeners find the show, which helps us generate revenue to ensure no one contributing to our show works for free. The wicked Library is created by Ninth Story Studios, LLC. All rights reserved.